thank the Lord for the atmosphere of worship that he's entrusted to our care as a church family. Why don't you give him a hand clap of praise? What a blessing to be in an atmosphere of his presence. So deeply grateful um, for those that are navigating into the details of how to take us deeper in our times of worship. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, we're going to continue our churchwide Bible study, Nehemiah chapter 4 today. Fifth week, fourth chapter, first week was introduction. We're going to go all the way through 13 chapters. Never done this before um, because I've just, it's not my strength to be expository in my approach. But sometimes you just have to listen and when the Lord asks you to do something that might take you a little beyond your comfort zone, it's because he wants to awaken something and stir something deep within you and within all of us that maybe he's not stirred before. So I think that's the season we're in. How many of you are willing to step into more of what God has in store for you, even if it is uncomfortable? <laughs> Come on, if that's you, just lift your hands and let's just receive that now. Lord, would you bless the reading of your word in a supernatural fashion? We just come back to that declaration of 1 Corinthians 2, verses 3 through 5, where the Apostle Paul, who had the Old Testament memorized, who was so zealous in the law that everyone looked to him, all of his skills, all of his abilities, so respected, and he writes to the Corinthian church, I came to you in weakness, in the fear of the Lord, with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so your faith might not rest on human wisdom but on God's power. Lord, we're acknowledging in this season of rebuilding, seeing the parallel between the book of Nehemiah and ancient rebuilding of the work of God on the earth, how that's aligning with the current rebuilding of the work of God in the earth that we have had far too much reliance on man's wisdom and not enough reliance on God's power so we invite you Holy Spirit lead us guide us direct us awaken us help us Lord to follow your lead every step of the way in Jesus mighty name we pray amen and there's so much in this book for us. And uh, I encourage you, I'll do the best I can to dig things out that we're to explore. Um, but you really need to be listening to the Lord as you're reading through this. You know, the encouragement has been to read two chapters a day. Uh, and you'll read the book in the course of a week. Modify that, whatever works for you. Because I'm preaching the chapters uh, my two chapters a day deal with the chapter that's at hand and the chapter that's to come. And I just keep rehearsing those two, and then I move to the next. After today, I'll move to five and six. Um, so modify however you'd like, but I would encourage you to be in the MI consistently. Two chapters a day would be a great goal. Um, if you miss it, don't sweat it. You know, how many of you know God? It's like we have a bad day and we get all frustrated because we're not you know, faithful, and we've, you know, missed it, and it's like God doesn't measure faithfulness in days, like he's a generational God, he measures faithfulness in years, so just stay the course, uh, stay the course every step of the way, in fact, you know, you have to kind of decide if you're uh, inspiring and encouraging, or if you're bragging uh, when you're trying to encourage people to do something that you're doing, and so I did wrestle with this a little bit today, but 
I'm so excited. This is um, the first time I've preached out of this Bible because I've now um, just finished it on my Turn the Page. And so it's been at home and it's been in my Turn the Page. It's got all my prayers and dates every day, Turn the Page. And in the course of about three years, you'll read through the Bible. I've actually done this one twice because I just felt something for me in it a second time. And so um, this morning was my final page, Revelation 22 conclusion. It was like, man, I'm fired up to preach now reading Revelation 22. <laughs> Nehemiah chapter 4. We will uh, read his word with a disposition of anticipation, expectation, and honor, recognizing again it's not the clever that we need, it's the power, and something in the reading of God's Word actually releases something supernatural if we're willing to embrace that, have an attitude of faith. What we're going to see in this particular chapter, just kind of in preparation for reading, um, is there's a lot of criticism that begins happening in Nehemiah's work. <clears throat> if you want to do a great work for God, can I hear a great Amen. How many of you know that comes with a price? <laughs> and so what we see in this chapter is critics. Anybody ever had a critic in your life? Critics are inevitable. If you've ever been criticized, just raise your hand. Let me just see if you've ever been criticized. All right. Uh, some of you can raise both hands. You've had a lot of criticism come your way. Um, but critics are inevitable. Just it's going to happen. You're not going to be able to get past that, so don't get discouraged by that. Learn to steward that situation well and don't uh, you know, give yourself to focusing in and losing your focus on the Lord by focusing in on those who are critical in your life. Last week we took a look at how unseen people do unknown things to build the work of God in the earth but they actually are not unseen. They actually are not unknown. There's a whole chapter we looked at last week of all these names that are actually known and seen by God, every one of them, everything they've ever done. And everybody who has worked so hard, even within our own church family here, over the course of many years, there's never been one thing you've ever done that God has not noticed. <laughs> he has seen it and He has known it. And the more you feel unseen and unknown, uh, the safer you are from criticism. And here now in chapter 4, we move from the unseen, unknown realm into a very visible realm where Nehemiah is highly recognized, very known, very seen. And the more seen and the more known you are, the more complicated your work becomes. And so think with me about this. If you choose to stand for anything, then by default you're standing against something else. I stand for the unborn, the life of the unborn. We as a church, that's our position, we support the life of the unborn. What that means is, by default, we're actually against abortion. Sometimes we need to just make statements so that the church understands that we're not just going to drift down the current of the world in their perspective that's going to infiltrate into and evangelize the church. We're going to take a stand for what we read in the Word of God, even though it may not be popular. And when we take a stand in any realm, in any direction, according to the Word of God, by default, what that means is we're standing for the things of the Lord as we define them or understand them and interpret them. Then we're standing against the other things that coincide against them. And what we learn from the book of Nehemiah 
is to fight for that which is good rather than trying to fight against that which is bad. This chapter is all about that. I just encourage you, don't waste your time trying to fight against everything that's bad. Just stand for what you know God has called you to stand for. We should be a people who are known by what we're for rather than what we're against. By default, when you're for something, I understand you're automatically labeled as against. But don't go fighting against everything. Fight for what you believe God's called you to stand for. All I'm saying is the kingdom of God, listen very carefully, the kingdom of God is about the cross and not the sword. And a lot of people get this very confused. And they just allow this reactionary disposition of the sword to be the prevailing perspective of their theology and they're angry about the world and they're angry about the lost and they're angry about the sinners and I mean do you understand the kingdom of God is about the cross not the sword the disciples were utterly disappointed that when they figured out who the Messiah was he wasn't there to squash the Roman Empire and kill them all Jesus he made it very clear. This, this is not a popular perspective, I know, in the world filled with fight. And it goes over like a lead balloon every time I bring it in, in the minds of some. But I'm, I, I mean, I, please know my heart when I say this. I'm really not interested in trying to impress anybody at all. I just want us to really come back and rehearse the Word of God. Some of us need to hear things like what I just said about 10,000 times before it chisels away just a slight disposition that helps us start to open our heart to understand more of the nature of Christ in the way we're doing what God's called us to do. And we'll just keep chiseling every single one. We all need it. We all need it. I'll drink to that. We want to fight for that which is good rather than that which is bad. Martin Luther King Jr. said, Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. For God to give you all of this that I've just said, apply it now to this. For God to give you a broader audience of influence is for you to then have a broader audience of critics. And the question is, can you handle that? Can you keep your focus when haters start to hate? Because haters going to hate. Proverbs 32, 16. It's actually not a chapter. It's found in the book of Hezekiah, which actually isn't a book. Can God trust you to keep your focus when haters start to hate? I, I say this little phrase a lot, and I would encourage you to write it down and reflect on it just in your time with the Lord. If you are more emotionally charged than you are spiritually mature, God cannot trust you with a broad scope of influence. If you are more emotionally charged and you live in this reactionary disposition and you all of a sudden something splashes on the news and you're ah you're emotionally charged about it then you're spiritually mature i mean can you imagine like jesus in what he walked through and hearing what he was hearing and seeing what he was seeing and he walked in this disposition of carrying a sense of rest and peace and just the uh, an 
unanxious presence everywhere he went. I have been praying recently, Lord, would you help me to become an unanxious presence in every situation? As you can imagine, doing what I do, I hear a lot of traumatic stuff consistently, continually, perpetually. Uh, been here for a long time and, and have had a whole lot of conversations and interactions. And I mean, sometimes you hear something and you're just like, you know, inside you're, you're, you're oh my goodness, I can't believe that. But you, if, like if somebody comes in and they pour out their soul to you and you just go, oh, you're right, that's horrible. That's not going to help them. But you can actually become an unanxious presence in every situation because you're so utterly convinced God is in control. If you're more emotionally charged than you are spiritually mature, then God simply has to keep you from having too much influence in the world in which you live. I'll probably hit this a few times, but if you are a social media blaster, when you get emotionally triggered, you are a wonderful tool in the hand of the devil himself. Stay off your social media with your complaints. It's not the place for it. Whoo! Let's just read the Bible. Nehemiah chapter 4. <laughs> Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 to 4. Now when, Lord, I pray as we read your word that we do exactly what we're referencing. There is something powerful that rolls off of the ancient words of Scripture all over us. It's like... The washing of the water of the Word, your Bible, your Word describes it. And so forgive us, Lord, as we've not paid attention to how significant the public reading of Scripture is. And in this season of rebuilding the walls of the modern-day work of God, this is part of what you're restoring, a broken-down portion of wall where we've just walked in and out of paying no attention whatsoever to the value of the public reading of your Word. That's being rebuilt. That's being restored. So awaken, Lord, within us something profound as we gather like this as a family to read your word in Jesus' mighty name. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers, and of the army of Samaria. What are these feeble Jews doing? They go to name-calling. That happens in, in the essence of criticism. Name-calling is, is prevalent and right up front. What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it themselves? What are these idiots doing? Don't they know they're idiots? Can they do this themselves? I mean, I've had this conversation with people before who've had levied all of this right at me. I've, I've, been, I've been told what a loser I am more than once. 
You know, it doesn't really matter what anybody thinks about you if you understand what God thinks about you. Will they restore it themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Well, whoever said that they were going to do that, I mean, just outrageous nonsense. Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Now, I want you to think about this because I'm going to reference this in a moment. Like, they don't have much to work with. Like, rubble exists and that which is there has already been burned up. Like, they don't have much to work with. Just kind of tuck that in your mind. I want to come back to that in just a moment. And then Tobiah, the Ammonite, who actually is an insider, and you're going to figure that out as you read more into the book. How many you know the enemy is always trying to get a critic on the inside, not just on the outside, wants to get someone on the inside next to you, near you. They're going to have a conversation with you at just the right time when you're about to move into the next season of your life, and then bang, that voice comes from a much deeper place. And Tobiah, the Ammonite, who was beside him, said, yeah, what he said, <laughs> basically. He said, yes, what they are building. If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. He is so clever, isn't he? Hear, O our God, verse 4, for we are despised. He said, Lord, just be aware. Make sure I know you know we're struggling with this, these dispositions. So these mockers minimized anything the Israelites were going to do. They also minimized what the Israelites had to work with. This is the rubble and the burned, you know, like the rocks, the stones that were there have already been burned up. I really just, this is one of the points I felt the Lord was saying to me as I've been praying over this chapter over and over in preparation for today. I felt like the Lord said for me to stand up here and say to you, it may not look like you have much to work with in the eyes of the adversary, but just as it was in their day, they had insight with the king. They had access to the king's timber. They had access to the king's resources. It may not look like you have much to work with, but you actually have access to the king's resources. And I just want to say today, the king's resources are on the way, and the work is going to be done. Enemies come and enemies go. One thing all enemies have in common, none of them have ever been raised from the dead. Their voice should not be as loud as the one who has been raised from the dead. His voice is what matters. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Greater is he who is in us than anybody around us in the world, no matter what they may say, no matter how loud they may get, no matter how difficult it may feel, no matter how complicated it may be. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So what we have to do is choose not just to go through things. Jeff Henderson said this a few years ago. Man, it just struck me. Don't just go through it. Grow through it. And I thought about this uh, when we were actually laying sod out around the gym and, and Chris Hamill, our athletic director, was back there helping lay that sod. And if I remember correctly, it had uh, you know, sod with llama poop all in it. 
and it didn't smell pleasant. And I remember rounding the corner, and I rolled down my window to say hi. Hey, how's it going? And we had just built the building, and the, you know, the, they were getting this audit. And, and he's, he's kind of stood up with his hands like this, and I could smell it through the window. And he, said, and he started explaining what was going on. I said, all right, have a great day. And I just went on because I could not. But I thought about that later. Have you ever encountered somebody who had a really stinky attitude around you? Because the reason that stunk so bad was because that stinky was actually fertilizer. It was going to help that grass grow. So when somebody around you has a critical stinky attitude, just keep in mind, it's just fertilizer God's going to use to help you grow. You feel free just inside, don't say it on the outside, but just on the inside say, I know why you stink so bad right now because I'm going to grow through that. I'm not just going to go through it. Don't let it slip out and say it on the outside. Keep it on the inside. But let any critical voice, anybody who's being negative about you, anybody that has anything to say that's seemingly contrary to what God would say, just recognize God wants to use that as a sense of fertilizer to help you grow. Critics are inevitable. Critics are inevitable. Jesus not only said critics are inevitable, he actually cautions us. It won't pop up. You might want to jot down the reference, Luke 6, 26. He actually cautioned us about living a life that's so indifferent that no human being has any reaction at all. Luke 6, 26 says, Woe to you when all men speak well of you. Woe to you when nobody has anything to criticize you about. You're not standing up for anything. You're just staying as neutral as possible and you're really not making a difference. Woe to you when you find yourself in that particular disposition. And when you do step up and when you do step out and when you do try to make a difference and somebody then starts to criticize you, I have some advice for you. This is your blank. If you've got a card or you're online with our live notes, uh, then fill this in because it's a significant declaration. Never waste your time trying to explain yourself to someone who is deeply devoted to misunderstanding you. <laughs> As a few years ago, uh, I felt like the Lord was prompting me with this, and I, I put it on my social media. And there's somebody who's pretty doggone critical of me, that actually, I thought it was so funny. And they did too, to be honest. I mean, we've had our, our at odds. We don't agree on faith stuff, okay? Uh, we don't agree on Jesus stuff. But uh, anytime I'm posting something, they're kind of watching, you know, at times to, to smack me with anything they can is kind of what it feels like to me, whether that's the case or not. Uh, but I posted this, and they came on and they said... Um, Again, here's the quote. Don't waste your time trying to explain yourself to people that are deeply devoted to misunderstanding you. And the person came on and wrote on my, right there on my public page, I'm not sure I understand. Could you explain this? <laughs> and I literally posted back, I think if I did, I would violate the principle I'm talking about. <laughs> to which they then replied, I thought you might say that. Ha, ha, ha. Let's read on. To, uh, let's go to verse 14. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not 
be afraid of them. Don't let these critical voices take root in your perspective. Faith and fear do not live in the same context. One will drive out the other. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. Rehearse Him. He's great. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. I felt like the Lord was saying to me uh, during worship as Pastor Chris was reading this text. And I wrote it down because I want to reflect on it some more. But I felt like the Lord was just saying, don't give in to the earthly fight. There's a heavenly fight. Your battle's not with flesh and blood. Your battle is in the realm of the Spirit. So understand that. Recognize that. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall each to his work. There began to be a sense of advancement in all of this. Verse 18, And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. In verse 20, Our God will fight for us. Our God will fight for us. Can we all just say that out loud, realizing that we're rehearsing something right from the Word of God? Let's all say it together. Our God will fight for us. One more time. Our God will fight for us. I love Nehemiah's direction here because he said, remember your God. Remember your God. Rehearse His greatness. Remember your God and get to work. Remember your, your God, and then stay focused on what God's called you to do. Don't just try to get back to work first. Remember, rehearse, goodness of God, faithfulness of God. If God is for me, who can be against me? God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond. Rehearse, get that stirred up within you, and then get back to work. Because if you don't, they're just going to distract you from the work easily every single time. You've got to get established in the reality of what God's desiring for you to understand. This is pretty simply put. You don't have to attend every argument to which you are invited. Have you figured that out? Just because somebody wants to fight with me doesn't mean I have to participate. Just because somebody wants to argue with me doesn't mean I have to participate. And I just have to tell you, one of the most disillusioning things I ever experienced, personally, pastorally, was like, uh, you, most of you have heard the story, I'm sure, but when Tracy and I were asked if we would pastor the church, we simply said, no, we're not going to do that. That's not what we do. And we tried to talk the leaders out of it, and when they wouldn't hear it, then we went to the church, and, and we talked to the church back in that particular day. I, I spoke the, the night the church was deciding whether or not we would leave the church, and I'm not kidding you, the message was the five reasons you would never want me to be your pastor. And I was trying to legitimately talk these people out of something I just did not see myself doing. Tracy and I both, they wouldn't be talked out, but they decided, no, we're going we're gonna to put ourselves through all kinds of pain. We're going to take you as our pastor. And so here we are all these years later, and the one thing that disillusioned me more than anything else was when we said, all right, well, here we go. I thought we were going to help people and do great things and everybody around the people we were helping and the great things we were doing were going to applaud and celebrate us because our hearts were right. I thought that. It was very naive. How many of you know Jesus had the perfect ministry and Jesus had enemies? 
you can have the perfect ministry and you will still have enemies because Jesus himself said, come and follow me. And if you follow me, you're going to have my enemies to become yours. So it's surprising in one way and not such a shock in another because there's more taking place than what we can see in the natural human realm. There's more taking place than what we can see in the natural human realm. I, I just think it's crazy to realize, but Romans 5.10 speaks of how we were enemies of God before we surrendered to the cross. This is how, this is how it works in battle. You're an enemy until you surrender, and now you've surrendered and you're no longer an enemy fighting against. And in the kingdom of God, you not only come over to serve on the side of the king, you actually become a son and a daughter of the king, which is a beautiful reality. But we were enemies. Let, let there be no question. We were enemies of God, Romans 5.10. And Satan is at work in those who are disobedient, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. Have you ever read that? Satan is at work in those that are the enemies of God. If Satan is at work in those who have not surrendered to the cross of Jesus Christ, then what we all have to understand is there is an unseen spiritual force of wickedness that's actually collaborating with people that are under their control to come against us to try and stop the work of God. There is demonic collaboration pulling puppet strings of those that are enemies of God that the enemy himself is at work within them causing them to get sideways and, and dispositioned moving this direction and that and collaborating efforts. I mean, this started just really rocking me this last week as I started thinking about it. Like clusters of demonic work and those, I'll just say it again, Ephesians 2, 2, the devil himself is at work in those who are disobedient. If somebody is not submitted to the cross of Jesus Christ, they can only be your friend in a certain measure of way because the enemy himself will be trying to get them sideways with you. But if God be for you, who can be against you? And your response to somebody who hates you is to love them. Because he loved you. He took you from being an enemy of the cross to becoming a son and daughter of his kingdom. So his love might be awakened within you. And listen, the grip the enemy has on those you choose to love who are purposing to hate you is broken in their life when they experience the love of Jesus that comes through you. And they can't understand it. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Accept Jesus Christ and your life's going to be beautiful and everything's going to be great. You are actually being mentored by a rabbi whose life did not end well. He, it went really south and he was crucified on a cross. And like, do you understand if, if your focus is I'm going to accept Jesus and my life's just going to be peachy keen, then you're missing something of the battle of God's kingdom that's going on. You actually are supposed to be living for a world beyond the world in which we live in this moment in time. So if God's highest objective is to give you the best life you can have while you're living on this earth and you don't understand the kingdom of God, 
There's a price to be paid. There's, there's, we've got to be willing to walk through some pain and suffering to follow the example of Christ, to love those who are unlovable. When they're not loving us, we actually love them back, and it releases God's kingdom. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, that the King of glory may break into that situation and people be liberated, their hearts be awakened to the loving purposes of the Lord Jesus Christ that's at work in you. Otherwise, you would not have it within you to love them the way God's placed it within you to be able to love the unlovable. This is the kingdom of God. And what do you do when people criticize? What do you do when people talk bad about you? It is Christ-like to be criticized and falsely accused without reacting to justify ourselves at all. Oh, this is hard. I actually wondered if I would get to this because this is a hard point and it's going to take a little bit of time because then you hear that and it's just like, I don't like that point at all. I don't like preaching it either. But it is Christ-like to be criticized and falsely accused without reacting, trying to justify ourselves. Jesus standing before Pilate, hearing everything that had been levied against him, and Jesus did not say a word. How did he do that? I would be like, you got to let me go. Enough. That's not true. Like, there was a higher purpose at work in Jesus' life that he wasn't going to navigate through these temporal arguments. I'll just say it again, and we'll move on. It is Christ-like to be criticized and falsely accused without reacting, trying to justify ourselves. If you'll learn this principle and learn to ignore your enemies, listen, you'll get your time back. If you'll learn to ignore your enemies, you'll get your emotional energy back. If you'll learn to ignore your enemies, you'll get your life back. You won't just be sitting around rehearsing all of this all the time because you're just at rest. Be anxious for nothing. Become an, a non-anxious presence everywhere you go. Take your life back by stopping the rehearsing of the criticism that's taking place in your life. Uh, I, there, there was a... This is a crazy situation, and, and, and they actually asked me in my travels in England, don't ever tell that story over here. <laughs> they said that, because people will believe there's some truth if the news picked it up. But I'm just going to tell you straight up, right before we built this building, we secured a loan. Well, the worship team, if you guys will come while I'm having a little story time. Um, but we just secured the loan, and a lot was going on, and uh, we had a 19-year-old intern that came to intern in our church who got involved with a 15-year-old girl. And that was a problem for a number of reasons. But then you've got, it starts to emerge into a legal situation because of a minor and an adult. And a very known anchor person, news anchor person, I'll spare you the name, but that news anchor person came and stood on our parking lot back in that day the church sign had my name on it, lead pastor Lawrence Neeson. You'll notice it's not on there anymore <laughs> for a few reasons. Right over her shoulder, lead pastor Lawrence Neeson, she's looking right into the camera and she says these words. Okay, what happened? I'm just going to make sure you understand. A 19-year-old intern got involved with a 15-year-old girl. Consensual, by the way, what, what it took place, but, but still... This is what they ran. Lawrence Neeson on the sign, looking in the camera. 
Local pastor rapes multiple teens. More tonight at 10 o'clock. That happened. The bank dropped us. We now had no loan to build. School families showed up the next day to take their kids out of the school because of the horrible monster that was pastoring this church named Lawrence Neeson. People in the community would see me and turn away to avoid me. And, and man, I got to tell you, this little principle I'm talking about, when somebody's critical and you're just silent, it's death. But I've learned the Bible actually says I'm supposed to die daily so Jesus might live through my surrendered available life. And that was a time where I really grew. And I navigated through that, and, and months had gone by, and it started to calm. People began to realize an error and a mistake had taken place. We were back on track with the building, moving forward. Thank God we're here today where we are, because God is faithful. But then I found out a local pastor in our community, you'd know him, many of you, used me as a sermon illustration. Things that started calming down, and then he's using me as a sermon illustration about the rapist who beat the charges and now is on the... Don't you just love the ministry? Have you been through a few battles? Have you faced a little bit of criticism in your life? God is able to get involved in that situation, if you will, but not try to give... I mean, I could have tried everything, social media, do anything, you know, we're going to do... And the Lord just kept telling me the same thing. It's this verse. Did we read it? If Exodus 14, 14. The Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. What's your role? Be silent. What does God do? He fights for you. This is really powerful. Are you ready for this? This is how that story ended. Almost one year to the date, that anchor person was asked by a local organization to be their spokesperson and a representative to go to a local church where a local pastor was being named Humanitarian of the Year because of the uh, love and concern for the community that has been voiced. That person who stood on our parking lot and said local pastor rapes multiple teens was the anchor person they chose who came to this church to stand on the platform in the other building and present me with the Humanitarian of the Year award in that moment in time. I, I, I don't know how that happens. I want to say rest in Him. God's calming some some pretty heavy stuff that's been going on in some of us. I, I sense it. The Holy Spirit is at work right now. Some of you have not had rest or peace in quite some time. You've allowed yourself to be emotionally spun up, but God is taking you to a place of being spiritually mature. Rest in Him. Rest in Him. Be still and know that I am God. The Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. You can love those who hate you. You can pray for those who mistreat you. God's big enough to handle the whole situation.
I want to make a final statement to you. I'd like to make it as your, uh, to your feet, if you would. If you're able to stand, just join us and stand. And I want to just speak this declaration over you. When you settle the issue of God's love, when you settle the issue of God's love for you, you'll finally stop living for the praise of others and the disapproval of your critics will no longer slow you down. Do you understand you are fully loved by God? We are fully known by God, which is terrifying. But we are fully loved by God, which is amazing. <laughs> you are fully known, you are fully loved. And when you settle the issue of God's love for you, then you'll finally stop living for the praise of others. And disapproval from your critics will no longer slow you down. Come on, would you just close your eyes, open your hearts. Do you sense God is having a personal conversation with you in all of this? What is the one thing you know you are walking away with out of our time together, our worship and our pressing in, going deeper, our exploring God's Word? When you have that one thing, you know there's one thing you're walking away from today's gathering with. And lift both your hands. We just surrender to what the Lord is revealing. You have that one thing you know that God's been speaking. Maybe more than one, but at least there's one thing you know you're walking away. Lord, we give you thanks. For you are mightily at work. Thank you. You're rebuilding the walls of the work of God in this hour of the church. We're learning a lot from the work of God being built in Nehemiah's day and how we're to stay busy about the work of God in the earth in this day. Would you help us, Lord, to grow into a greater understanding, a deeper reality of your love in your life. We can settle that issue of your love so we're no longer living for the approval of man, the the words of our critics around us will not slow us down. We'll just stay the course and be focused. We love you, Lord. We lift up the name of Jesus. Jesus came. He lived. He died. He's risen from the grave. He is who He says He is. He's the Savior of the world. Come on, if you declare and agree, believing in your heart, declaring He is Lord, then say amen real loud. <laughs> we give you thanks, Lord. Come on, today, if you're making a decision to serve Jesus and you've not made that decision before, we want to pray with you. Today, if you're dealing with a struggle, maybe the, the Lord's stirring and addressing within you, then we want to pray with you today. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come up on the both sides of the platform. We're going to take just a few moments in worship. And I, again, just I, I want to reiterate, there is something of the atmosphere of worship that's really significant after the Lord has kind of traumatized the carnality with His Word. He traumatizes the carnality of our lives. There's just almost a raw, a sense of rawness for His seed of His Word to just take root. And so that's what we're doing in this time of worship. Just a few moments before we conclude, we've received something from the Lord, of the Lord. Now let's give it back to Him in this place of worship. And as we do that, there's communion at the back, the giving station.
musicians are there the prayer team is here anything you feel a sense of direction toward and responsiveness to the Lord would you please do that and then in just a few moments we'll be dismissed all together as a family Thanks.